Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm the transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, that his name, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, he is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generation of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Amen. And I'll hand over now to David. Now, great to be with you today. I minister just up the road in the Dublin Road in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, so we're really happy to be able to support a witness like this. Uh, the centre of the city needs all the Christian witness it can get, so uh, we're really happy uh, to be part of this. Unfortunately, I don't get along too often. I teach 
uh, in our theological college as well on a Wednesday. So students got an hour off today so that I could get down here in time. They're heartbroken, but uh, it's worth it. Uh, I told them there's always trials in ministry. You just have to face them uh, and cope with them. Just as we're starting, let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for time to come together in Christian fellowship, to come together around your word. We thank you it is God-breathed scripture. And we pray that the Holy Spirit who gave the word would also be our teacher today. Lord, show us wonderful things in your law. Give us hearts for obedience. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're at the end of Ruth. You will know by now, if you didn't know before, uh, that Ruth is not the Mills and Boone of the Bible. It's not a nice wee romantic story. Now, it's often treated that way. It's great for ladies' Bible studies. But men studying Ruth, well, no, no, we don't, we don't do that. But you know better than that, of course. Uh, you know that the book of Ruth uh, certainly deals with the beautiful relationship between Ruth and Boaz. Uh, there's a picture of love there uh, that is tremendously encouraging. But the big question, of course, is why is it in the Bible? Why should a story, a love story, be in the Bible? And that's what we need to understand. And the talks you've had already, I'm sure, have been showing you why it is in the Bible. The story of Ruth and Boaz really marks an important stage in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. It fits into the big picture of God as the Savior. Somebody has said that God's plan unfolds by staging posts. There are times when God's purpose takes a big step forward. And the Low Ruth is a little book, it's a short book. This is one of the staging posts in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. This actually marks a big step in the progress of the plan of salvation. And that really is what we want to see as we come to the end of the book and to see where this fits in to God's purpose in which all of his people find a place. So in the story of Ruth and Boaz, we have a picture. We have a picture of a man who was a redeemer, a deliverer. God, through Boaz, provided new life and deliverance for Ruth and for Naomi. That was wonderful. That, for those who were at the bottom of society, was really good news. Here was a redeemer who would be able to give them new life, to give them a secure future. But there's something much more than that going on here. Because Boaz, as a redeemer, is a picture of a much greater redeemer, of one who would provide deliverance and new life not just for two people and their families, but would provide deliverance and new life for a vast multitude of people, a multitude of people that only God will be able to count. And of course, that Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his human nature descended from Ruth and Boaz. So Boaz really provides for us a picture and a pattern of a greater deliverer and a greater deliverance a greater redeemer. And that's why the book of Ruth uh, is so important. 
Not all that long ago, I preached through Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel. And in almost every sermon, I asked a particular question. And probably by the end of it, the congregation were sick of the question, but they knew the answer. And the question was always, where is this going? Here is history from a couple of millennia ago. But where is it going? Why is it relevant to us as Christians in the 21st century? And the answer to the question was always the same. It's going to Christ. It's always leading to him. And we haven't really understood the historical books of the Bible unless we see how they're leading to Christ and to see their relevance to us as Christians. So here in Ruth and in this last chapter, I can ask the same question, where is this going? And the answer is, it's going to Christ. And unless we see that, then all we're left with really is a, a nice story of human love. And that's great, and that's beautiful, but we don't see the big picture, and we don't see how this meshes with us in our Christian living in the 21st century. So let's look at Ruth 4, and you've got an outline there, and I might even be somewhere close to it uh, as we go on. Who knows? Who knows how the Spirit will lead, uh, and how the time goes as well, of course. But the first thing that stands out as you look at Ruth 4 is what I've called a costly commitment. Uh, and that's something we need to understand. What is working out in an account of customs and practices that maybe seem pretty strange to us? that are very different from what happens in our culture. So what is happening here in Ruth 4? Now the book's moving towards a climax and it's hard for us, we know the story and we just read the last chapter, it's hard for us to imagine never having heard this before, coming fresh to it and not knowing what's going to happen next because the book has been building up to a climax. Ruth met Boaz. Apparently by chance, of course it wasn't by chance, God's hand was in it. Naomi has her plan for Ruth uh, to meet Boaz and eventually for the whole marriage plan to unfold. Again, none of that by chance. But we're waiting to see what happens next, so try and imagine you don't know how the story ends. And so the issue is, Boaz is willing now to be the redeemer. He is going to buy Naomi's land and along with that will come Naomi and Ruth. And so we're waiting to see, will it work out? Will Ruth marry Boaz? Will he redeem the land? And there's one snag, of course, because there's a relative closer than Boaz. There's somebody else who should be doing this job. And so the situation is set up it takes place at the town gate. That's where legal business and all the important transactions took place. All the elders would be sitting around. And so they come there and Boaz calls out 10 of the elders. These are going to be the legal witnesses. This is all going to be done very properly and very carefully. It is so important. And the different steps are set out there in chapter 4. You can read them from verse 3 on. We're not totally sure exactly of all the details. The commentators have different views. And that's what keeps commentators in a job, of course. But it's clear enough 
basically what's happening. And the Holy Spirit has told us enough here to understand. And so at the gate, Boaz is there. And Naomi, Boaz says, is selling this piece of land. And it's up to this other relative to redeem it. It's his place, it's his responsibility to take this land, to pay for it, and to take on the responsibilities. Boaz is very skillful. He's a smooth operator, really, you could say. Because he starts off by just talking about the land. And he says, well, here's the land, and are you willing to buy it? You're the nearest relative. And the man's eyes light up and he thinks there's all this land. It's really going to help me. And he says, of course, immediately, verse 4, I'll redeem it. And that, we think, oh, no, 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 no. It's Boaz, Boaz, don't, please. I'll redeem it. Then Boaz pulls out the master stroke because he says, look, if you take this land, you redeem it. You'll have Ruth as your wife as well. Aha. That's different. Suddenly the relative realizes, hold on a minute. If I have to marry Ruth, well, the law is, of course, then the first son that we have will inherit that land that belonged to Ruth's dead husband. And it'll go out of the family. And suddenly the relative realizes, this could cost me a lot. More than that, if he doesn't have any other sons with Ruth, if there's only that one, the whole inheritance will go off in that line and it'll go out of the family. And the relative thinks, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to take that risk. I could lose my whole inheritance. He says I might endanger my inheritance. It could cost him a tremendous amount and he's not up for that. And so he turns and he says to Boaz, you redeem it yourself. And we think... It's going to work out. It's handed over to Boaz. The relative isn't prepared for the price. It's too costly. It's too risky for him to redeem it. And so it all comes back to Boaz. And of course, we know exactly what he's going to say. And uh, the record tells us, he says, verse 9, verse 10, he says, I have bought from Naomi all the property, all that belonged to her husband, to the two sons, and along with that, I've acquired Ruth as my wife. That's exactly, of course, what Boaz wanted to happen. He's ready to step up as a redeemer. He'll pay the cost, the same risk for Boaz as there was for the other relative. There's a risk for him in doing this. He's risking his inheritance, but he's up for that. He's willing to do that. He's willing to pay the price in order to redeem the land, redeem Naomi, and redeem Ruth. And there's a picture. There's a wonderful picture of a redeemer. There is Boaz redeeming his commitment, of course, that he made back in the previous chapter. If the relative won't redeem, I'll do it. And now here he is, keeping his commitment. And he's willing to be the redeemer at a cost at a risk, and he knows that. He's going in with his eyes open. But the point is that Boaz is willing to make a loving sacrifice in order to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He's willing to pay a price. And you can't fail to see where that's going. Because he's a picture of another 
Redeemer. Here is the kind of costly sacrifice that God makes in order to redeem his covenant people, in order to redeem people like you and me. And it is a costly sacrifice that God makes in Christ. Boaz is a redeemer. Boaz pictures for us a redeeming God, a God who redeems us at a price. And it's a high price. We know, as Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, Boaz didn't have to do that. The price wasn't as high as that for him, but the price was that for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Boaz demonstrates for us the kind of love that makes sacrifice. Sacrifice in order to redeem. There's nothing Naomi or Ruth could do to earn Boaz's favor. He makes the sacrifice and they're redeemed. And you see as clearly as you could in Boaz, a redeemer willing to make a costly sacrifice in order to redeem. And that's exactly what we see in Boaz's descendant, the Lord Jesus. Here's one willing to make the most costly sacrifice in order to redeem. To redeem those who were helpless, those who'd nothing. Not just to redeem two people, but to redeem a vast multitude of people. In Boaz, you can see something of the love of God in Christ. You can see something of what costly redemption means. You can see that this is going ultimately to Christ. So there's a costly commitment that we see in Boaz. But out of that costly commitment, secondly, we see a blessed future. Because what is the fruit of the sacrifice that Boaz makes? What is the result of the redemption that he is able to effect? Well, here they are in the gate of Bethlehem. The elders are sitting around. The people are sitting around. It's very interesting that Boaz says to them, Today you are witnesses. Verse 10. Now, what are they witnesses of? Well, obviously enough, they're witnesses of this legal transaction. But they're witnesses of something much more. They're witnesses as they sit around and listen and watch. They're witnesses to what the Lord is doing. You see, we might tend to think in Ruth 4, Boaz is the central character. It's all about Boaz. But actually it isn't. It's the Lord who's at the center of Ruth 4. And what the witnesses at the gate will see will be what the Lord does through Boaz, but the Lord does it. It's God's wonderful work uh, that is taking place here. And of course, that's always what witnesses are for. You think of 1 Peter 2. That's God's people are to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're witnesses of what God has done, his great work. And the people sitting around at the gate of Bethlehem are exactly that. They're witnesses of the great things God is doing. And as they watch Boaz, they listen, they see this redemption. They're seeing a picture of something even more wonderful that God is going to do through the descendant of Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're looking to a blessed future. And they think this redemption 
transforms the situation for Ruth and for Naomi. There they were, struggling on the brink of destitution. They had no claims on anybody. And life has transformed for them. And it's through the redeeming work that Boaz does. And you get some glimpses of what it means for them. Think of Ruth particularly. The blessing uh, that's called on Ruth, particularly verse 11. All the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the, the mothers of Israel. Rachel, her tomb was in Bethlehem. They could go and see it. Leah, mother of so many uh, of the sons of Israel. Fruitful, many descendants, blessed, tremendous. And then they go on, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And, and if you know your Old Testament, you think, oh, that, that's, that's a messy story about Tamar and Perez. To mention that as if it's a great reason for celebration because Judah had had a relationship with Tamar's daughter-in-law. He thought she was a prostitute. And Perez was the fellow who was born as a result of that. Very messy. And yet God in his grace, out of that sinful mess, brought Perez, one of the forefathers of Jesus. And that's what God's grace is like. It takes messy people and messy situations and sinful mistakes and brings something wonderful out of it. It's amazing. Perez is in there as an encouragement. Don't know what your background is, what your life has been like. Maybe it's been very respectable. Maybe it's been very messy. God's grace can take that life and make something beautiful and special and wonderful out of it as he did with Perez. And he's mentioned there for a purpose. Boaz, of course, there's blessing. May you, be, may you have standing and be famous. Out of that self-sacrifice, willing to pay a price, there will be a great future for Boaz as well. So there's Ruth, there's Boaz. For the child still to be born, little Obed. And again, the ladies, the women say to, uh, to Naomi, may he become famous he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And you think, what was Naomi's life like? She had nothing to look forward to. Remember, she had called me Mara, call me bitter. There's nothing to look forward to. Sustain you in your old age. And how important, where there were no social services, how would you be sustained in your old age? Family. And God gave her Family. God gave her support. God gave her blessing. She wasn't bitter anymore. God's grace was doing something wonderful and something beautiful, even for Naomi. And it's God's work. You see, even when they talk about Ruth having the baby, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Of course, there was the biology involved, but the Lord enabled her to conceive. That's the point. It's all God's doing. God provides the Redeemer. God gives the blessing. God delivers and gives a beautiful future. It's all in his hands. Every good gift comes from God. It's all of grace 
And Ruth 4 is just filled with God's grace. Everywhere you look in it, everybody involved, there's grace. God is at work. And so Boaz is a picture of a God who sacrifices, a God who loves, a God who redeems, and who provides a wonderful future, a blessed future. And of course, we are the beneficiaries because thirdly, there is a glorious fulfillment. In a sense, this is where we come in because it doesn't stop with Ruth and Boaz. It doesn't even stop with King David because the genealogy gets down to David there. But really, we don't stop there because we're back to the point we started at. Where's it going? And it's going to Jesus. It's going to his redeeming work. And so the genealogy continues right on down. You'll find it in the gospel from David down to Jesus. The story of Ruth and Boaz fits into a bigger picture. And we mustn't miss the big picture because that's what makes this so significant. The big picture of the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. And here is a big step forward. And we need to see that this is all leading by God's grace to the Redeemer, with a capital R. It's leading us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And really the women spoke more truly than they realized when they spoke to Naomi. Praise be to the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer. And God hadn't left Naomi without a Redeemer. There was Boaz, and particularly there they seemed to be thinking of Obed that he will provide for Naomi in her old age. But in a far deeper sense, God was providing a redeemer, not Boaz, not Obed, not King David. But ultimately, of course, by God's grace, David's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. The redeemer in Ruth 4, Boaz, Obed, is simply a reflection of what God does, of how God redeems, of how God comes in love and in grace and at tremendous cost provides redemption. And often in the Bible, God's described as the Redeemer. Isaiah 60, 16, I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer. And really that is why we are saved. That's why we have hope and a future. It's because the Lord is our Savior and our Redeemer. And in Ruth 4, you see a snapshot of what the Redeemer is like. But we know the reality when the Lord Jesus Christ came, far more wonderful, far more glorious than Boaz, the Redeemer. The genealogy will go through Perez, down through Obed, down to Jesse, down to David, and eventually down to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it's through the Messiah that God's plan of salvation comes to its glorious climax. The promise he would make to David, 2 Samuel 7, there would always be a king on David's throne. There would be an eternal kingdom. You think, where's that? Where's the king? Where's the kingdom? King Jesus. The one who has come in his kingdom and who will come in his glory at the last day. The promises of God 
are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the promises in Ruth 4, the promises in 2 Samuel 7, all the promises of God are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is leading us to Christ. You see Christ here. Here is a redeemer. Now Boaz was a fallible man. He was imperfect. He needed a savior himself. But he's a picture of a redeemer. One who makes the costly sacrifice so that those who do nothing are given a blessed future. And he's a picture of Christ who came sharing our human nature, descendant of David, and at the most costly sacrifice imaginable, has redeemed people like you and me, people who have nothing, people who deserve nothing, people who have no future, and gives us the most glorious future. Already we've blessing. Already we know the life of the kingdom, but the best is still to come. And it'll be beyond anything we can expect. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, Obed had a blessed future. But we have glory to come. And it's all by the grace of this redeeming God. The one who's offered an infinite sacrifice to save us. That in the end is what Ruth is about. It's not Boaz who's the center of the book. It's not Ruth or Naomi. It's the Lord. It's a book about the Lord and about the Lord's grace and love and mercy. It's about the Lord as the Redeemer. What a wonderful picture we have of redemption in the story of Boaz redeeming Ruth and Naomi. But what a glorious Redeemer we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their descendant. What a privilege for them to be part of the genealogy of the Messiah, the Redeemer, the King. And in him we have that redemption and that wonderful future. Now, I can't read your hearts today. Preachers wish they could, probably. It's best we can't read people's hearts, actually. But if you don't know that Redeemer today, if you haven't received that wonderful future in him, then I'd encourage you, urge you, to turn to Christ the Redeemer and receive that wonderful gift that he has purchased at such a cost. And if you do know him, if you do love him, praise him. Rejoice that he's taken you from nothing and he's given you a glorious future, all in love and grace that you didn't deserve. That's all there in Ruth. Thank you. Okay, let's pray as we finish. Lord, we thank you for opportunity to meet here. We thank you for the Clayton, for the, hope, for the folk who make it uh, possible for us. And Father, we pray that you would bring home to our hearts uh, the lessons of Ruth, the picture we see of redeeming love, costly love, that provides such a glorious future. Father, we pray that our hope and our trust would be in the Redeemer and the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray you would enable us to live for his glory and to enjoy the wonders of his grace. Be with us, Father, in the rest of today and all the responsibilities and demands of the work ahead of us. And help us, we pray, in all we do and in every relationship to honour and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, Lord, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.